Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen Money Matters. The man on top of the mountain did not fall there. My name is Thomas, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking today, man? Good, dude. I'm just drinking a little Hurricane Kitty from Keegan Ailes. Uh-huh. I, I saw you sounding. had a very fancy beer, but I'm not sure if you cracked it. I didn't crack it. It is 9.41 here. Some of us are civilized. (laughs) (laughs) Says the man who has definitely done this in the past. Yeah, I want to crack one later. Um, It's like this Scottish ale brewed or aged in whiskey barrels, casks, whatever you want to call them. And the bottle looked badass. It did. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's actually really delicious. When When I poured a glass last night, though, both Anna and Quentin thought it smelled like skunk. Really? And I was like. Well, this skunk beer is good. <laughs> I will continue drinking the skunk excrement or whatever it is you want to call it, but it's good. <laughs> anyway, this week's catchphrase, week, we have three episodes a week. Today's catchphrase is the man on top of the mountain did not fall there. And Vince Lombardi said that. That sounds like a famous name. I don't know who that is, but can you enlighten me? I don't I, know, man. I actually don't know who Vince Lombardi was, is. I, uh, I was like, oh, this is cool. I've heard of that. He's actually an American football player, coach, and executive. That's right. You You, you say that's right. Are you a football fan? I've heard his name before. Oh, okay. I've heard his name before as well. I don't know why. Here's my my experience with football. NFL Street for the PS2. (laughs) Uh, Hearing people talk about Madden. uh, Hearing John Madden talk about Tough Actin' to Nactin' and... That's and watching the Super Bowl a couple of times. There you so, go. A lot of lot of Madden <laughs> experience here from you know in high school. Oh and yeah. And then a lot and when football season's on, uh, Hoboken has like the most bars per square foot <laughs> in like the U.S. or something. Um, and uh, when football's on, every bar is playing it. So like just walking down the street, you know like what's going on from all the bars and their doors open and shit. Yeah, dude. So I'm a person who tries to question stereotypes, mm. but I, I need this. I need to get this off my chest. The first time I have ever been to New Jersey mm. was like last week or two weeks ago, or whatever, when I came to stay with you. Right. And I get off the path, step foot in New Jersey for the first time. What do I see? St. Patty's Day in Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first impression. It's like epic <laughs> drinking. Cops everywhere. There's like a big sign that says zero tolerance for drunk community service and fines <laughs> are going to be levied and like all these people wearing green drunk in the streets and well, it was like 10 a.m. I met you like halfway <laughs> through the 10 block walk to, to walk yep. to the apartment and while we were walking back two ambulances went by at separate yes. times because probably like intoxication <laughs> and shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's Jersey. So I would imagine that's not always Jersey, but uh, I find it funny that that was my first impression. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I'm drinking coffee. Thanks for asking. Oh, Thomas, (laughs) what what type of coffee are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking coffee that would make hipsters mad at me because, see, I brew it with an AeroPress, so I get a little bit of street cred that way, but then I I don't measure my coffee beans. I don't use a burr grinder. I don't do any of that i don't like measure the temperature of my water i just hit the lowest one so i can drink it fast and i just make it real quick anyway today's catchphrase i don't think vince lombardi sent it to us but the man on top of the mountain did not fall there is our catchphrase very motivational Hmm. and if you got catchphrases 
Uh, hopefully they are funny and make Andrew say something embarrassing. Then send them over to us at Money Matters Man on Twitter is where you can find us over there or listen Money Matters on Facebook. So today we're doing five questions and looking at these questions, they all have like numbers and the word like fees in it. So <laughs> I'm going to read them and then you get to answer them. Well, cool. I, I may ask for plan your thoughts. going forward. All right. And then if like there's something I know or maybe like a movie reference or something I can just like throw in there. We'll do that. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so question one, this comes from Mark and he says, uh, let's say that you have betterment as it is more visual and you are young or in a wealth growing goal. What's the purpose of having five to 10% bonds in your portfolio at this risk level? The bonds aren't going to protect your wealth. If there's a market crash, why not go hundred percent stocks? If you want to be this risky, that's an excellent question. question. Um, so I would say if, you know, you're Thomas's age that you should go hundred percent stocks. Um, and, and rightfully you should because you have your whole life ahead of you to retire and you might as well amp the growth as much as possible. And you could say like, what's the significant of 5% or 10%? But um, imagine it on like a sliding scale where when you reach like 50 or, you know, 55 or something, you're 100% bonds. And so you go from like 25 to 55 and um, so that's what, 30 years Right? Yeah. 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 Thirty years, and then you divide a hundred by thirty, and then that's the percentage increase to bonds you do mm. every year. And you know, so slowly over time, because you have less time to retire, so you need to be more careful with your retirement savings. Um, and so you like taper in there. And if you look at um a life cycle fund, uh, that's basically what they'll show. Some of them, like with Vanguard, they'll show you a pretty graph. And just show you how your allocation changes over time. And um, that's just basically what happens there. So 5 to 10% will not save your retirement, but it will retain a little bit more when uh, you could take a little bit less risk. And I guess it's the, the slow tapering is better than just going from like 100% stocks to 50 50 to, you know, 0 100. Interesting. Okay. So I'm looking at Betterment right now. And if you put in like age 21, 40, and I put in 40K income, just like as the the example, mm. um, retirement goal that it suggests is 90% stocks twenty or 10% bonds. And it says, this is a recommended moderate risk allocation for this goal, which will you see in detail after you select it. So, yeah, um, I guess I think they just want to have it be diverse. And all their, their bonds are in emerging markets, so it's not like ultra super conservative. I think they just don't want maybe they just don't want to seem like they're just encouraging you to go out half cocked and be super risky. Like I think it's just it's kind of it's kind of presented as a not super risky investment tool mm. on the whole, right? And they don't want like the, I think their biggest fear. I mean, we were we were at their office and we were talking with them and one of their biggest fears is there's going to be a market crash and everyone's going to withdraw their money and mm. take losses, you know, and the the whole thing is like you should take you should cut your losses and lock in your gains not like ride it to the bottom and then sell and like lock in like your losses and so they yeah. they want to be more moderate with the risk they put it cuz at 21 i think you have like no business being anything less than like 
Right. Yeah. And I think like I'm looking at their site and it seems like their core philosophy is diversification Mm. no matter what period of your life you're at. And, you know, it makes sense. Um, Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Crash Course lately. They had an episode on like kind of like the birth of capitalism and it focused on the Dutch system and just like basically the the emergence of um, what is it called? Like diversifying investments in shipping, where an mm-hmm. investor could do ten percent of his of his investment on ten, each of ten ships instead of one ship all the way in. So ah, because it could, yeah, yeah. So I think you know that's that's kind of where the idea spawned from. And even if you are young, you know, I don't think it's necessarily a great idea to throw all of your chips in one basket and mm. throw all caution to the wind. So. That said, if you were 100% stocks in Betterment, you would still be exceptionally diversified. That's true. Yeah, and I can look at mine right now, actually. Um, I'm 100% stocks in Betterment. But that's still split between the total stock, BTI, large cap, mid cap, small cap, developed markets, and emerging markets. I've got six funds that that it's spread out through. So even at 100%, it's still pretty pretty, uh, diversified. I also want to say that um, if you're looking at it today where interest rates are basically zero, like you stand to benefit so much more from stocks. However, if we were in a high interest rate environment and interest rates were dropping, your bonds would be performing like gangbusters. So it's not to say that bonds will always underperform. And uh, if you were uh, in whatever it was, like 2006 – and you bought a ton of bonds, you would have done exceptionally well. Okay. You know, through to so, 2008. At risk of making this episode seven hours long. Mm. We're only, this is only question one, but yeah. Because mm. I feel stupid for asking this because I'm a host on this podcast. Maybe you've told me this before. Why is it a bad idea to be all in stocks when interest rates are going down? Like, what's the relationship between interest rates and being in stocks or bonds? So it's well, obviously, it's bad to be in stocks when the market's going down because then stocks are losing value. But uh, bond pricing has an inverse relationship with interest rates. So as interest rates go, about Fed interest rates. Yeah, I mean, all all interest rates base off of like the central bank's interest rates to to some degree. So like as uh, our and we're in a low interest rate environment, so interest rates are only going to go up. So bonds are going to perform. I mean, their prices are going to drop over time, basically. Does that mean the price relative to what the uh, payoff is later on? So if you buy a bond and uh, it doesn't default, like you're going to get the money that you get. This is this is pricing. So it like um, think of it like this: if you if you like a stock at a hundred dollars, you love the stock at eighty dollars because it's cheap. Okay. Yeah. So, um. If the interest rates are going up and you waited a month, it would be cheaper to buy it in a month than it is today. But then in the following month, it's going to be even cheaper. So, you know. So if the interest rates overall are going up, a stock's price will go down. Is that what you're saying? Or a bond's price? Uh, If interest rates are going up, bond's price will go down. So it's an inverse relationship. Okay. So it would be better to buy bonds in that environment. It'd be better to buy bonds. Oh, look. Um, it, like you said, it's not all about bond price. Like you could hold them to maturity, um, stuff like that. But it's better to have bonds uh, in in like a high interest rate environment. Okay, I may have you 
do an episode on this. So we actually someday. have, and you know, I, I know like one. very basic stuff around this. We have a listener who does bond trading on wall street and has oh, been, okay. e- we've been emailing back and forth and, um, he he had to go to different areas of his company that were around the country and visit him. So we haven't been able to link up to, to record, but I'm trying to get him on because he's going to school the shit out of us on bonds. Okay, so that'd be cool. That's why we haven't done a bond episode is because I'm waiting for this dude <laughs> and my schedule and your schedule like link into like a perfect thing. Okay, cool. Cool. Well, then I'm going to move on to the next question. And this comes from Joe. So he says, we understand that there is a betterment fee to manage our account, but what other fees and taxes will we have if we truly use it as a savings where we are moving money around every couple of months? It all sounds too good to be true, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. (laughs) So basically, I think he's asking like, can I really shove my money into betterment, make more on it than I would in my bank, and then just take it out as if it was a bank account? So betterment now is this cool feature. And they're, they're constantly adding these features, and we're kind of lucky that we get to see the features before they come out, but we can't tell you until they say we could tell you. Um, but one of their features that is out um, is they will estimate the taxes that you will have to pay. So think of it like this. You have your money in a savings account, and you're growing your money with the, the pitiful amount of interest that they give you, point nothing percent, Right. You, at the end of the year, pay taxes on that pitiful nothing percent. Yeah. You also pay taxes on the gains of your stock. However, unlike bank interest, where you get the money immediately and pay taxes immediately or at the end of the year on it, stock, you only pay interest, uh, you only pay taxes on it when you sell it. So Betterment will actually advise you when you attempt to withdraw, they'll say, this would be the tax implication of selling. Okay. So, so, and that's the capital gains tax, right? Exactly. Okay. And so the thing is with stock is it is very beneficial to buy and hold it because then you're not paying taxes and all these gains and your gains make gains and your gains, gains make gains. And then at the very end of the line, you withdraw and you pay taxes, but hopefully you're like retired and you have a very low, you know, income bracket and, and stuff like that. So, okay. Um, Interesting. Is it too good to be true? No. Like you could put your money into betterment, earn like expo- like literally exponentially more than you would from your savings account, and if you withdraw, there will be tax implications, but it is like ninety-nine times out of a hundred you'll have more money if the market's doing well. Okay. Than if you had an, a savings account. So I the performance ha- of the market will <laughs> overshadow the any sort of extra tax implication of withdrawing. In most cases, basically. Right. I mean, it, it is a better alternative than a savings account, but I would say, like, you shouldn't be moving it around as much. You should really try and leave it because you're going to yeah. be, like, um, not punishing yourself. You're going to be, sabot- yeah, like, sabotaging yourself. Yeah, but I, I do see this as, like, good clarification for people who may want to put it in there. And uh, save for like a big purchase or something, or maybe they just like like you said, keeping your emergency fund in there, basically. Mm. You know, um, I guess just like some peace of mind, as it's it's not something where you're gonna like be ridiculously taxed if you pulled out, like my IRA would be. Yeah, so so I think the penalties there are a lot more. Um, I actually want to see real quick. 
what my tax penalty would be just to give you an idea. So, so I'm looking at mine and if I doesn't like show me immediately and I don't want to hit the withdraw button, I'm guessing if you hit the withdraw button, does it tell you? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to hit the withdraw all button and see what happens. So withdraw all. Yeah. So let's see what happens. It just does it. Yeah, I would cry if it did it. <laughs> 25. I know, I know that it won't though. Cause I've sat in enough demos, six, four, five. Oh, okay. So let's see. Estimate tax. Actually, there's a button next to it. Estimate tax impact. So oh, okay. I've gained about uh, $600. Uh, actually, yeah, a, a little over $700 I've gained from Betterment. Um, mm-hmm. And if I withdrew right now, based on the money that I've gained, uh, I would have to pay roughly $98 in taxes. So yes, okay. I made $700-something, but I owe $98 in taxes. And so... As as you do better, and you know, you may say like, "Well, I need the money." That's fine, um, because then I still made over six hundred dollars, but it at right. least gives you the consideration. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Cool. So uh, I'm gonna move on to the next one then. Cool. So this comes from Ray, and he says, "So my question is, uh, say I do traditional for all my life. I'm guessing that means IRA. IRA." Uh, with the extra tax dedu- deduction money, I reinvest it with a 7% increase every year plus compound gains. Now at retirement, I do not take any money out since I will be at the highest tax bracket. I wait until the following year and be at the lowest income tax bracket since I didn't work the previous year. This is assuming I didn't get any rental income or any other income. So why wouldn't this work better than Roth? Huh? So, okay, and let me explain I, the question I, to me. Yeah, I totally, I totally get this question. And um, basically, uh, traditional IRA is like a 401k. The money comes out pre-tax. Okay. So you get taxed later when you withdraw, unlike a Roth where you get taxed first and then you put your money in and it right. goes tax-free. So he's saying, because um, we talk a lot about Roths and, and I'm pretty excited about Roths. Uh, and I, I, I have no traditional IRAs. I have 401ks, but I have a few Roth IRAs. And okay, he's saying, put your money in traditional IRA your whole life, retire, wait a year so that you have no income, and then withdraw from your Roth. So you're you're paying a very low tax bracket on the money. Oh, if you. Whereas, so think of it like this: oh, I because, I make oh, my money Roth now. Withdrawals are considered income. Correct. And so, taxed as such. Because if I make my money today, I'm taxed at like 30, almost 35%. Right. So I collect my salary, 35% goes to the government, and then I'm able to put the money into the Roth IRA. However, I could, with a traditional, comes out pre-tax. So I literally, I put in before the taxman gets it. So it reduces my taxable income. I save on tax. I got to put more in. More okay. bang for my buck now. And then he's saying, when I withdraw in the future, if I have no income, my tax bracket might be like 10% or something minimal. So and, you could you could put a bunch of money in a traditional and basically just only withdraw a little bit every year and live really cheaply, and you'd save because it wouldn't be taxed at a high, as high of a rate. Yes. And that, so that's, it would last longer yeah. because of taxes and because you're not using very much. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't really think that there's much consideration with like, yeah, where he's working or whatever. It's just don't like, take it, out too much. It's like kind of, it's 
Uh, look, we don't have like raw tax numbers, but it's kind of a math question. And I would say, dude, you're absolutely right. That would make perfect sense to do it that way. And even what you could do is you can, in retirement, start converting slowly your money into a Roth IRA. You know, you would have to pay that minimal tax rate on it, mm. but then it'll grow tax free in your Roth. And um, that's pretty sweet. Most retirement strategies involve something like that like in retirement like basically you'll be withdrawing from a Roth at the end of the line okay interesting because the thing is like say you have $500,000 in your traditional IRA um, you're not needing that all the first year it could still grow might as well grow tax free the, yeah. the reason that we or that I personally like a Roth IRA and I think someone like Thomas would like a Roth IRA um, is that we're not looking to retire when we're like 60. Yeah. We're looking to build up our investments and at maybe 35, like soft retire. Um, and, and the thing is, you would pay a penalty if you withdrew from your traditional IRA. Um, you have to pay the taxes and blah, blah, blah. And we prefer to have them in accounts. So, for example, you put money, you put ten dollars in a Roth IRA. In five years, you withdraw that ten dollars, right? And you don't have to pay any taxes. And so, it's just yeah. kind of, and also a lot of people don't offer traditional IRAs. Employers they offer four hundred one ks. So they're okay. they're the less um, traditional IRAs, the less talked about option. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. We'll have to have the mad scientist back on. Yeah, he agreed <laughs> to come back on. I need to. The, he's not. He's not back on because I've been lazy. Oh, hmm. get back to work, Andrew. I know. <laughs> back to the coal mines. And this question comes from Andrew, actually. Not me, so, Andrew. Not M. you. Question number four: With the Fed saying that they plan on raising interest rates in June, the market took a spike from about. 0.5% down to about 0.5% up. Yeah. Uh, what is the interest rate? Why does the market favor it? How will it affect me other than increasing my stock values in the short term? Huh. So there, so the interest rate is first set by the federal reserve, you know, like right. the, the bank, the main bank of the U S okay. And then all the banks that offer you interest rates on, on your savings and checking accounts, it's like a result of whatever the Fed rate is. Right. And basically, if... Because what happens is the banks borrow from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could borrow from the bank. And so the cheaper the banks can borrow the Federal Reserve, borrow from the Federal Reserve, the more they like it. Right now, the, the money is almost free. The interest rate is so cheap. Oh. So they're like, we love this. We're borrowing billions and billions of dollars, and it costs almost nothing. And then we invest it, and we make money, and it's awesome. Okay. So when they're He's like- He's asking what the interest rate is as a concept. So, so I think I it's he like was a, asking, what is the number? Yeah, I don't know what the number is. Yeah, okay. Okay, so he wants to know what the heck the interest rate is. So the interest rate's like almost zero. It's very, very low. It's like 1%. It's like basically nothing. So the market doesn't favor it because they want cheap money. Loans yeah. at like 1% versus loans at 5% are way cheaper. So they're, they're upset about that. Okay. So I think I can explain this one mm. myself, actually. Tell I, thought me. He, I thought he was asking like, what is the current interest rate or something? But I, I, so I, it looks like he just wants a conceptual overview of how the Fed bank us relationship works. Right. 
Mm. So I guess like correct me if I'm wrong. Let me see if I have this straight. The Fed prints the money and sets an interest rate on it for loaning to other banks. So it's like the big central bank, basically. The whole thing is the the Fed prints the money, but they need to get the money into the economy. Yeah. And the only way they can get the money into the economy is if they loan it to banks. Right. Okay. So, so then, they basically give it to the banks for cheap, and then the banks yeah. will give it to us as mortgages. So and then whatever. the banks get money from the Fed, and just like to pull a number out of my ass, they are loaned that money on like one percent interest. So then to make money, the banks will lend out some of that money they get to us and to businesses and to whoever for more, like three percent, four percent, something like that. Exactly. So, so they'll make a profit on it. So the market likes low fed interest rates because the banks in turn can offer their loans at a lower interest rate as well. Mm. So if the fed says that they're going to increase interest rates on their initial loans, then the whole market has to basically adjust to keep up with that. Yes. The bank will have a higher interest rate on their loans. And then you have to pay more on your car loan, or your house loan, and the money's not as plentiful. So returns will go down on stocks and investments and stuff like that. And it like affects everything, and it and it slows down the economy, which is the reason they raise the rate because there's a concept of the right. economy overheating. So when they raise the rates, people will borrow less, and and everything kind of slows down. So the market the, knows that. And while um, slowing yeah. it down is not, you know, like we're going to crash, they just want it to be fast, fast and furious. Yeah, and isn't there like some? relationship between inflation and unemployment interest rates so unemployment's very low and so that's why the fed's been really really considering raising the rates for a while however wage growth hasn't been up which is okay. i think a major reason why they're holding off they want they okay. want more they want more money in our pockets before they start slowing the the economy down gotcha okay i mean and by slowing the economy down i mean very 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 slowly over a yeah, long period yeah. of time. Okay. Yeah, there's always like um, all these inverse and direct relationships between all these things. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, hopefully that was a good explanation of how that works. And maybe we'll do an episode later on about like the macroeconomic explanations behind all this, like the theory of it all. I would love to. Uh, we cool. we talked uh, last night. I. I owe you some research on the Federal Reserve because I'm going to teach yeah. what that is. Cool. So last question comes from Tina. She says, I work for a private startup and I have some unvested stock options. Maybe it's uninvest- uninvested maybe? I don't know. Unvested means like she could execute them now, execute them in the future. Okay. So it's like you have the option to buy the stock at this price. Gotcha. Okay. She says, what are the benefits of exercising stop, stock options before an IPO? Isn't that pretty much purchasing something with no value? How in the world does it get set? And is the source some actually reliable or is it pretty much speculation? What are the implications of changing valuation on the actual company before it IPOs? Can a valuation get too high? And how does the company raising investor funds affect my stock options? Do you have any other tips when it comes to holding stock options, whether it be avoiding taxes and whatnot? So she actually had a few more questions in that one question. There's like 500 questions in that question. <laughs> so, so I, I know. So I pulled some of them out. I, I thought it was good because it was very interesting. Um, what are the benefits of exercising stock options before an IPO? Um, 
it really depre- it really depends on the price of your stock options. So you get an option, and an option is like you get to buy a share of Apple at thirty dollars. That's what an option would be. Now, okay. the stock could be twenty dollars today. It could be five hundred dollars today. But the option says you could buy it at thirty dollars. So if the stock is five hundred dollars, you could buy it today. And sell it today and make a monster profit. Oh. Okay. Now, if it was low, say it was $20, the stock option was at 30 you would basically buy the stock at 30 and then you would be immediately underwater. So you, so if you had stock options, you'd want to wait until it was a high price. You would want So you could make a ridiculous profit. So you would want to wait until it was above water. And I think the thing that you need to consider, and perhaps the most important thing you need to consider that people don't realize is taxes. So say say you're on the wheel of fortune and you win, you know, ten thousand dollars, like, oh my god, this is great, we're going on vacation. But that's the ten thousand dollars before the tax man cometh and take half away. Right? Yeah. So when you have stock options, they're options that haven't been executed and they don't cost anything. However, when you execute them, then you owe something. So if you executed your stock options pre-IPO and you can't sell them, you have to hold your stock yet pay taxes on the value of that. So you're kind of in the hole. So unless you have wealth built up, you know, that's, it's probably not a good idea. So that's how stock options work then? You have to pay the taxes when you execute them based on the value of, like, based on the market value of the stock? So... Oh, wait, okay, so before a company IPOs, if I have a $30 stock option on a company that hasn't IPO'd yet, that means they don't have a stock price yet, right? So, no, because it's it's traded privately. So oh, okay. You could be, you know, I could be Peter Thiel, an investor, and you could be an, an employee, and we could, you could sell it to me in like a secondary market. The thing okay. is, is an option is nothing until it's executed. It doesn't have like, I mean, it has like implicit value, but it's not actually. So once you execute it, then it has value, and then you have to pay taxes on it. So you have to be. So before the IPO, if you execute your stock options, you don't get the money until it IPOs? Is that what it is? Or like I mean, unless you can sell it. I mean, in order to have the oh, option okay. you have the option to buy, and I think in that case buy from the company itself, but then if you have oh, no one to sell okay. it to and then so it's highly why risky. Do you have to pay taxes on the value of the stock you buy with an option first, but you don't have to pay those taxes when you buy them on the open market. Because it's like you've been given money. Okay. So okay. when I buy it at say say the stock is sixty dollars and I execute an option to buy it at thirty dollars, it basically means that I spend thirty dollars and the company gave me thirty dollars. Okay. Right? Okay. Because And then you gotta pay taxes on that gain. It's, yeah, I mean I mean it's not exactly like thirty and thirty. I, I, it right. works different than that, but like that's why you would have to pay taxes when you execute the option because it's like money given to you. Okay. But it's not actually money because it's stock. And so if you're unable to sell it quickly, you may end up with a tax bill that you need to front or like foot with your current cash. Right. So, so if you don't have much, then it's like risky business. Exactly. And that's why a lot of employees and companies wait post IPO, you know, maybe even a few months after. And it might not be as high, but, you know, if they like the company and then they sell when 
It's at a great price. Okay. And they can immediately execute the option to get the stock, sell it like that same day, get the profit, do the tax thing. Okay, gotcha. So that answered a few of them. How yeah. in the world does ah? Uh, how does an IPO price get set? Yeah, that's like mostly speculation. They open their books. I would imagine that Snapchat being valued at infinity money is not based on any sort of real economic value indicator. So, <laughs> so there's actually an interesting thing to that. So uh, you know Mark Cuban, right? Yeah. The owner of the Mavericks, he sold a couple billion dollar tech company. Um, he believes that um, we're in a bubble, but we're in an, uh, a tech like a valuation bubble, like like a um, a funding bubble where okay. you know Uber is worth forty billion dollars or Snapchat's worth thirteen billion dollars. Yeah, and he thinks those valuations are obscenely crazy because it's really all speculation. The the good news, the half good news, is when the bubble bursts, it's only going to affect these super rich people. Okay. We're like, we're not able to get into it because we're not rich enough. However, huh. you know, if you believe in trickle-down economics, rich people having less money will mean that they will spend less money or give us less money or, you know, pay us don't less they, money. Don't they tend to keep their money anyway? <laughs> yeah, they tend to keep their money anyways. <laughs> That's why they're rich. <laughs> I don't know anything about the legitimacy of trickle-down economics or not. I would assume anything Rush Limbaugh yells about on the on the radio has some uh, some details <laughs> that have not been fleshed out for the average person. True. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a very wealthy man. Yep. All right. Well, is that good, or do, you, do we want to like dig into anything else in this? Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I think, think she she asked, "Can the valuation get too high?" And I think we can say yes. Obviously, and the whole thing is it's speculation. You know what? The valuation before it goes public is like how many times more speculative than when it's on the open market and that many more investors are weighing in on the price. So if yeah. Facebook says they're worth $100 and they open and the rest of the world beyond the 1,000 people that own Facebook think it's worth half, then it's actually worth half. Yeah. So once it goes live, it's, it's much less speculative. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us then, right? Mm. Cool. Well, if you've got questions, uh, email them to us over at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com, and we might be able to get to them on a five questions episode like this one. And you can also go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash get involved, where you'll find all the cool ways to get involved with our show, such as subscribing or leaving a review on iTunes, which always helps out. And this week's review comes from... Re exclamation point exclamation point <laughs> and uh, this person says these guys know what they're talking about and they keep it fresh they teach you something new every episode and keep it as entertaining as well uh, not only do I know what to do with my money now I've also learned which IPAs I should be buying in all seriousness though this podcast was the reason that why I started using mint.com and I've had a I've had a control over my personal finances ever since. I would recommend this podcast to anyone who wants to make more money, which should be everyone. Thank you so much <laughs> for that review. Uh, Andrew, hmm. has Mint been like slow as a load for you recently, though? Um, It has been. I'm getting annoyed with it. And I don't know. I, so I'm, I'm getting annoyed with it. Um, I think the, the mobile app has gotten a lot better 
Their site's okay. been slow as hell. I think I've just been I've been using the site. I don't use the app too much. Um, yeah, so I, I use the site a lot too, and and it kind of sucks. Like I think you have to almost avoid using it late at night because then it's like worse. Oh. Like everyone's home doing their thing, you know. Okay. Like if, if you do it, sense. if you do it like at noon, like no, and no one's checking Mint and doing their budgeting like during their lunch break. I would say very few yeah. people are. And I would imagine there's like some engineer at Mint right now is just like, stop complaining. Do you know how much it takes to link to like millions of banks? And <laughs> so, yeah. I I guess the one thing that I I want is for tax season to be over because oh, my dude. taxes are done. So I don't need that unescapable pop-up for TurboTax <laughs> every time I log in. Like, you have to refresh the page to get rid of it. Like, my, I don't... My taxes are done, so... <laughs> my taxes are not done. I I have a, a chat with Johnny this weekend. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, like, bracing myself for for terrible news. Speaking of that, um, I think that I am now qualified enough that we could do an episode on Obamacare for... Really? For uh, self-employed people and maybe in general, I feel that the government did not educate people well enough on this at first. Well, dude, but they did make up for it because, yeah, basically like 2014 open enrollment, which is like the period at which you can buy health insurance. I believe it ended March 30th. Mm -hmm. So which I thought I, I think I'd heard about that somewhere. And honestly, like, I don't know why. Do you mean I mean, oh, like, last like year's the government March, needs yeah. like yeah? I feel like mm. the government is like needs like some way to get information to everyone. I mean, I, I'm sure it's a nightmare, but I heard about that. So, um, like my my dad lost health insurance just like September-ish of last year, and basically I was like, okay, I got to get it myself at this point. Like I'm not 26, but I'm just I'm just gonna go find it myself. But I have till I think I have till March because of last year. No, this year open enrollment ended February 15th. So I was like sitting here in March and I was like, ah. oh my God, I can't get health insurance until it's because they had website issues. So they extended it last year. Well, yeah. Okay. And this year, so they, they did this thing where it was like special enrollment period. And it was like, if you didn't know about the ro- the rules and how it affect you and you owe the fee for last year, um, you can get insurance until April 30th now. So they added that. And then I was like, well, how the heck do I know how to, like if I owe the fee or not? Cause when I went to my accountant, he was like, he gave me this piece of paper that asked if I had like been uncovered for three months or more out of the year. And I was like, I don't know. And then I like did all this research and it turns out it's not like you owe the whole fee if you don't have health insurance for three months or whatever. Mm. It's that you owe it for every month you're uninsured unless you're uninsured for only two months or less. And so it's like 2% of your income or like whatever the dollar amount fee is, whatever is higher. But then you split that by 12 and then whatever, however many months you had it, you were uninsured, you pay like that one twelfth per month. So turns out I do owe the fee for last year, which means I could which, get it, which, which means I now have health insurance. So, okay. So wait, because you owe a fee, you can get it because there- yeah, there's special enrollment period. Like there's always like always exceptions like if you just got married you had a baby you lost your job or whatever or you're native american or something like that you can always get health insurance no matter where like whenever you want but for this year only they have this special enrollment period where if you owe the fee from last year and you didn't know basically what the heck obamacare meant then you can get it after open enrollment and here's the kicker uh which my dad did not know so i would imagine a lot of people don't know this you know there's the marketplace where you can buy health insurance for obamacare right right and then there's the private health insurance market. Mm. Well, my dad was like, if open enrollment's done on Obamacare, just go call the insurance agent up privately and ask to buy health insurance. 
you can't do that. In most states, the private market has followed the model of the, the marketplace, the public one, and they have open enrollment periods now too. So basically, if you miss open enrollment, your only options are short-term health insurance, which don't count as minimum coverage, and they're only really for catastrophic stuff. So you're basically Shit. screwed. And I don't, I don't really know like how the law helps people who are completely uninsured, but I feel like people like me who fall into that area where you make enough money that they don't consider you like needing subsidization, but you just didn't know the law. Mm. So hopefully we can inform some people who may be in my situation to get their insurance before April 30th. <laughs> Cause I'm now I'm my coverage starts in May, so I don't have it yet, but I have it and I'm like less freaking out now. Mm. And I, I think I understand it. So I could do an episode on it now. <laughs> I would, I would love to learn because I'm going to hopefully soon be in your shoes yeah <laughs> and uh also just on a side note and, and maybe it doesn't make sense if um the fact that you pay the fee allows you to enroll now like so so it kind of like works out because i was talking with johnny and last year they actually have no way of knowing if you had health care or not they didn't implement that part of the system so oh, this really? yeah so this year it, it's implemented and they'll know but so basically they just ask you if you're the fee and you're like uh yeah <laughs> Dude, well, the one thing i did find out and this is nice if you do owe the fee um because i i called my accountant back up and i was like i think i do owe the fee and then they were like oh okay and they went and ran the numbers and i think they have learned a bit more and they were like okay so this is what you'd owe and i was like do i need to file an amendment to my taxes return and they were like maybe and i was like okay i guess i could do that at some point i'll call you guys it'll be like 50 bucks to file it and then whatever the fee is and then i went to more research you don't have to Wait, do you? If you owe the fee, your tax dude said maybe. He's like maybe he, he, you should do the research. Understand it? Yeah. Oh, but he did the research. He didn't make you do the research. No, I did it. So, dude, what the fuck are you paying him for? I mean, he. I think they just didn't like. He had like all his paperwork, and then I. I guess the the thing was like, were you uninsured for more than three months or not? And I said no, because I thought I wasn't, but I guess I was. And so I don't know. Maybe I confused him. Maybe they just haven't been informed yet. I have no idea, but I mean, I, it is new. I this is the myself. first, it's the yeah, first year I, that they, I mean, I guess I could have called up and been like, Hey, can you guys figure this out for me? But I wanted to know myself. Mm. So I called back and I was like, Hey, I want to pay the fee because I'm pretty sure I owe it. But also if I pay the fee, I can get insured this year. And then they went back and they were like, Oh, okay. Yeah, actually here's, here's what you would owe. But here's how the government does it. You don't have to uh, file an amendment and there's not going to be any like, criminal or liens against your income or anything like that. They will just, um, apply that fee to next year's return. Hmm. So if I owe a fee for 2014 that I didn't pay yet, then my 2015 taxes should, if the system works, have like a $120 fee tacked onto them. And any return I would get or any tax I need to pay will be changed by that. So hmm. I don't need to file an amendment. That's nice. I can just sit on it till next year. Dude, that, that was awesome. You just created like a mini secret episode within an episode. <laughs> yeah <laughs> fun so i mean i i, I could like read and, that as dude, an well, let's want. totally do yeah because i think you're i cl it's clear you have a lot to say on that and i know so little i know like the basic but um cool all right we have an interview in a, a few minutes so yeah uh, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you'll find book recommendations and apps and tools and things we like and recommend so check it out and also if you want to help keep the lights on for this show, then uh, let me see if I got the thing right. 
Do I know the do I know the URL? It's it's listenmoneymatters. Well, tell me, does this make sense? Listenmoneymatters.com slash support. That's right. Yeah, support. Yeah, I think that works. Yeah, you think that's the sexiest URL we can come up with? Sure. Is, is I mean, is that is that up right now, or do you have to get it up before we publish this or something? Like, By the time this is live, it'll be up. <laughs> so if I go to right now, okay, cool. That currently goes to the homepage. But yeah, that'll be there, and you can help us. There's a video. I made a video for you guys. Andrew's my first cool video. video. I taught him. You know, I'm like, like you have scrapbooks, crap. like my my first school dance, <laughs> like my my first time I put you know pie in my face. This is my first video. Just watch it. First video. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got for this episode. So thanks for hanging out with us, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Later, man. Later, dude. Tell your friends about this show.